so we're on this have church, will travel uh, journey, and, and part of that is, is just kind of recognizing that the church is not the building. The church is the places that we go, and it's us. And so that's why we have those signs that we take pictures of everywhere that we go, right? I haven't gotten any this week. I'm just saying. Do take pictures. Uh, you can post them on Facebook. You can email them to admin at arborpoint.org, and we will get them posted and uh, continue. We have over 70, so there's been a, a few turned in, but it's, uh, it's the emphasis of that is to point out that the church is not the building, that the only time this building is the church is when we're in it. So, so that's what we've been, been looking at, and as part of that, we just the, the message series has followed along with the original uh, traveling man, Paul, and, he, and all the churches that he planted. And so we looked at uh, the churches at Galatia, Ephesus, and today we're going to look at, uh, at Philippi. So my, my goal with this is a little bit of history behind what was going on in the area, some history behind the letter, um, some theology, and then how does this impact us today. So the, the Philippi itself was a Roman province, and it was in Macedonia. Paul, Timothy, and Silas, and a few others were on a mission trip, and they visited that area around 50 AD, about 20 years or so after the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And they planted this church in that area. It's one of the earliest church plants. In fact, it's Paul's first church plant that was on European soil in Macedonia. The members here were primarily Gentile. In other words, they were not Jews. They were, they, they were the unchosen. Paul wrote this particular letter while he was in prison. But the truth about that is that that only muddies the water as far as trying to figure out when, uh, when this was written because Paul went to prison a lot. <laughs> he was in jail a lot. He, out of just the book of Acts, we know of three. Uh, he was briefly in Philippi at the founding of the church. So when they went on their first mission trip to this place to plant this church, uh, he, got, he ended up in jail. Uh, that's out, out of Acts chapter 16. Uh, he was imprisoned in Caesarea, uh, that lasted two years. That's in Acts 23 to 26. And uh, a third imprisonment was at, for at least two years in Rome, and that's found in Acts 28. Now, this particular letter tradition holds that it was written from Rome because there are references in it for the imperial guard. That's out of 113, the emperor's household. Uh, we just aren't sure where he was when he wrote it, though, because I'm going to reference Dr. Holloway, one of my New Testament guys, and uh, he... He makes he, he he dates it a little bit earlier, so uh, so there's some lack of clarity in there. But the good news is, anyway, we've talked about who wrote last week. Was like, well, we're not sure if it was Paul. Or not. Paul wrote this letter. There's almost no dispute. It's one of the few that even the academic world is is not in dispute about the fact that Paul wrote this. Now, the <laughs> of course, there is dispute, right? Because if you can't. If you're in the academic world, then you're going to be looking at things very closely. And so, so one of the thoughts is that this is not one letter, but it's actually three different letters that they brought together for us, uh, and they combined it. There's some distinctions in style in the different sections um, that don't fit that it would be one letter. Um, but here's the thing, is that those are scholarly kind of discussions and arguments that have little importance for us because this is a letter that Paul wrote, <laughs> and he wrote it for us. Um, 
whether it was written at one time or whether it was combined at a later date, it's Paul writing to the church at Philippi, and it's, and, it's, and it's a letter that's written for us. The dating, as I mentioned, is a little bit unclear. It could be anywhere from the mid-50s to the early 60s. That still puts it within a generation of Jesus, uh, which is, which is an, uh, a pretty early letter. And this chart that you see up here uh, is from Dr. Holloway. It's a chron chronology of Paul's life that's, that is based on, his, on Paul's letters. Um, and, and I came across that th this, this week when I was putting this together. Jesus died around 30 to 33, and so that's that left side of the, I guess for you it's the left side of the, of the chart. And then Paul's call, when, when he was called into ministry, happened some 33, 34, and, and then he spent three years in preparation for going on mission. Um, then he went to, he made his first trip to Jerusalem, and then he went on his first mission trip. That was 14 years. He went to um, Syria and Cilicia, and then he returned to Jerusalem around 46 or 47. And then he went back out on mission trip to Macedonia and Corinth. And this letter, er, or this church, was planted on that second time out when he was with Silas and Timothy. Um, and around 52 was when he wrote the letter to Thessalonica, and then over the next five to six years, he wrote pretty much the New Testament. Um, as he was, he'd plant churches and then he would, you know, hear what was going on. And there was obviously a back and forth correspondence and he would respond to those things. Uh, when he was in Rome is when Holloway has him writing Philemon and Colossians. But, you know, I, I side and I think he wrote this letter, Philippians from Rome. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is the references earlier. But the other is that in the beginning of this letter, it talks about bishops and deacons. You know, he writes, you know, this letter to the bishops and deacons, which indicates a structure that is a little more advanced than what you would find if it were just a couple of years old in the brand new church. So I think in conjunction with the, the, the references to Rome and with, with that, that, I would land there. Um, again, that's just a theological uh, thing more than it, more than an important thing. You're going to find variations of this. If you have a study Bible, you probably have something that that outlines uh, Paul's journey, and there's going to be some minor variations in that. But this is kind of what it what it will look like, and um, I think it's worthwhile to consider the different letters' content from where the church was at those times, and that's why these are helpful because it tells us. You know, Thessalonica was an early letter, and, and when we read it, we see some of the issues going on in the church there. And I think it's important for us to do that. It's why we have Galatians and 1 Corinthians dealing with those big early church questions like, okay, who is Jesus? Is he, you know, he was a man, but is he also God? Does that make him spirit? And they have to figure these things out. All of the things that we take for granted, they didn't know for sure back then. They had to really work through that. You know, the Jew-Gentile question, if you remember, you know, you had the chosen and the unchosen is really what we're talking about. And so when you, when you talk about the Jews, you're talking about, well, we're the chosen people. And now Paul, who grew up in that, is now saying, well, but the Gentiles are now part of that. And so how does that work? And do they have to follow the law? So all of those letters, early on, the earlier dated letters, are those that are dealing with some of those church problems all the way up. And then Romans is kind of Paul's... Um, theological doctoral thesis. 
it's where he, he, he lands his theology. And so if you want to know Paul's theology, spend time in Romans because that has really influenced the, the universal church uh, theology a lot. Now, I mentioned last week that I love scripture. Um, the reason is that it's amazing to me. It, the more I delve into, the, into this, this study, uh, to be honest with you, when I first was putting it together, it's like, oh, great, going to be a history lesson. And then I started delving in, you know, and it's like, wow. You know, because you've got two weeks back, we looked at Galatians, and it's a wrestling match that Paul is, is, is having with those core theological issues, and, and how are we going to deal with that? And then last week, we talked about Ephesians, which is written at a later date, and it deals with broad church issues, the things that we deal with still today, and, and that's, a, that's one of the letters. And now we've got this letter to Philippians, which is an amazing letter, because it's like, it's, for Paul, this is a love letter. The letter to the Philippians is, is Paul's, you know, this is as lovey-dovey as Paul's ever going to get. Um, this is a church that had been in support of Paul financially and, and otherwise uh, for a long time. And Paul's love for them comes out in this letter in many, many ways. Now, it's not that there weren't issues. This was, a, this was definitely written to a church that was addressing some issues. I mean, there's things in there. He addresses dogs and evil workers and enemies of the cross in chapter 3. And they were having tru some trouble still with that early Jew-Gentile thing and that flesh spirit thing, which makes sense. Um, as with all the churches, there are issues to deal with. But I hope that we can gain strength and hope from that, that these churches back then had some wrestle wrestling points, and they had some stuff that they had to work with, work through. And these are churches that influenced the world over time. They wrestled with stuff and they had arguments and disagreements and they influenced the world. And I hope that we can grab hold of that and go, okay, maybe it is good to wrestle with these things, to wrestle with where God would have us. That's a good thing to have. Tension in the church is not to be avoided, it's to be embraced. As long as we continue that theme of unity and love that, that surrounds us, we can disagree about stuff. We should disagree about stuff. Do you think there's any issue that all of us agree on, every single one of us, 100%? It is unlikely. And if, there, and if it turned out that way, I would suggest that somebody was just probably not telling the truth. Not that you wouldn't tell, not tell the truth in church, because God will get you. <laughs> okay, sorry, Lord. <laughs> They were willing to wrestle with these difficult issues, and it impacted the world, I guess is my point. If we're willing to wrestle with these difficult issues of today, we will impact the world for Jesus. It's, it will happen. If we're not willing to wrestle, then we'll fall by the wayside. It, God, God will find it. The church will be fine. It's, it's just that, you know, this part of it may not be. So we need to be willing to wrestle with stuff. So that said, when I examine Philippians, uh, it's a letter of exhortation, a letter of encouragement. My other New Testament uh, professor, Luke Timothy Johnson, he, he wrote this. He, he called it a letter of friendship and fellowship, and he wrote this. He said, the fellowship binding the Christian community is not, as with a Hellenistic club or benevolent association based on like interests or mutual material benefits, the Christians are committed to having one mind and sharing their possessions, and the Spirit binding them together is the Holy Spirit of God. Theirs is a fellowship of the Spirit 
a fellowship of the gospel. Because we are distinct from the Rotary Club and from Kiwanis and from all of the groups in our community who do good things. But we are guided by the Spirit, and we are a fellowship of the gospel. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, 3 is an extended demonstration of how Christian fellowship should look, how we as a church should, should behave and, 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 and what our identity ought to be. And it starts out with kind of the principle, what, what, what Paul's getting at in, in chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That is very distinct from the world that we live in today. Each of us looking to the needs of others over the needs of ourselves. It's very difficult to do in this world of ours today. But this is what the task is. This is, this is what the church looks like. And then, and then he goes on to give some examples of, of folks that we can look to. And the first is, uh, Mike referenced this earlier, is, is Jesus. And, uh, and it is, it's the Jesus hymn. And, you, you know, in John, John, it begins, the word was, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God in reference to Jesus. Uh, it, pre it presented Jesus in this eternal cos cosmological way to make sure that we understood that Jesus was God. He wasn't just, just a dude. He was, he was God. And Paul presents Jesus in a similar light. He wants it to challenge us with, with who Jesus was and then to have him be our example. So let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, being God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Think about that. Jesus, being God, could have done and said, and he didn't have to go to the cross. He could have not done any of that, but he chose to. He chose to follow through with that. He didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was obedient to death. Remember Gethsemane? Father, if this cup could pass. In other words, I, w I, I would like to avoid this if I can. What followed, though? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And, and that's powerful because this death on a cross for the Jews, anything that hangs on a tree is cursed and a cross was considered a tree. So it was, he was hanging on, a he, he became cursed. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's powerful. This is who Jesus is. I was in seminary uh, in a class. I don't remember the, what class it was, but the question was given, uh, who do you imitate? Who do you follow? Who do you want to be like if you could follow anybody? And I 
I'd like to follow Jesus. Seemed like seminary seems like a good answer. You know, isn't Jesus the answer <laughs> to all the questions in seminary or in church? Uh, so it seemed like a good answer, and we had an interesting discussion. I had there was there was one young lady in there who said, "No, I I don't I, that's I don't want to follow. That's not what I want. Who I want to follow? It's too hard. It's too hard." Now, I couldn't argue with the it's too hard thing because it, it's, it's truly difficult to follow Jesus completely. But he is our, you know, I was just taken aback and blown away by that because he is our model. He is the one that we are to emulate. He is the one that we are to imitate. He is the one that we are to seek to be like, as Paul says here. He's the target. Will we achieve it? Not in this lifetime. Will we seek it? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. So he uses Jesus as an example of what it would look like, this servant leadership model. Remember, Jesus instituted that at the, at the Last Supper. Paul is continuing on that theme here as that, that the goal in the church is to be servant leaders. And then he references himself in, the, in, in 2.17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Even if, if I'm a, this is a sacrifice and an offering, I'm okay with that for you. I'm okay with that. Then he moves to Timothy. And I hope in the, uh, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Timothy was like Paul's uh, disciple, and, and, and he references him as similar to a son here says, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. This is, part, this, this is the next step, right? It's, this is what it looks like. It, is you want to be like Timothy, too. You want, you want to be that person who's willing to go the, the extra step and to, be, uh, to, to serve others in, in the, for, for the gospel. And then there's a gentleman named Epaphrodites. Now, Epaphrodites, I'm not going to read that whole thing to you. There, there's a lot to it. Uh, but he was sent by the church at Philippi actually to help Paul and to minister to Paul. And he got deathly ill. And Paul here said, you know, at the end of this, says he's sending him back. Um, he says, so then welcome him if, if, if the, in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. Epaphrodites went to Paul to, to support him and to help him. He got very sick, almost died, but he was okay. He did it for he didn't do that just for, for himself. He did that for for the furtherance of the gospel. And that's part of what it means to, to be a servant leader. I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And hear this. Not that I have already obtained it. This is powerful. This is, this is, this is good stuff. Or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind... I strain forward to what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. 
when we grow in our faith and we reach this point of I'm striving to become all that God would have me to be, then our impact expands and we are able to impact lots of, lots of, of folks for Jesus. And so this is what it looks like, this servant leadership and this willingness to put others in front of ourselves. And, and it's a tough thing to do, but it's, it's what we do in the church. It's what we're called to do. And so we need to embrace that as we go forward. Chapter 4 of Philippians is one of my go-tos. Uh, I wrestle with, with some depression and some, and, you know, and some negative stuff, and chapter 4 is one of my go-tos. You know, chapter, chapter 4, verse, uh, verse, I think it's uh, verse 1, uh, or no, verse 4, I think. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. He's trying to make a point here, I think. I, is, that <laughs> is that we're supposed to rejoice. rejoice. Yeah, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Find a way to joy. Find a way to joy. On my computer these days, uh, uh, you, know, you, you know that we lost Crosby, that we had to put her down. We had a 16-year-old dog and and, and so there's just a weirdness right now in the house because there's somebody missing who's been there for a long time. Um, and, I, and so I'll have moments where I, I get kind of, you know, melancholy about, about that. And, um, and so on my computer screen, I put on there, um, uh, it, at one point it said, be happy, but it's something related to this. And what I have on there now is what I have on my Facebook screen. It's, it's a bunch of blue sad-faced ping-pong balls, just a whole screen of them, with one yellow smiley face ball. And when I look at that, it makes me laugh, especially since Kit named the little smiley face ball Henry. <laughs> and so we put a little, a little bubble on it that says, Hi, I'm Henry. And th- but that reminds me to rejoice. I have a blessed life, guys. It's incredible. You know, I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict, and where I was, <laughs> where I am, ain't possible. It is a, it, I know that. I know that, but there's a part of me that pushes against that. So I need to be reminded sometimes, and if it takes a screen, sa- it takes a screen saver, whatever it takes, to remind you to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Do it. Do it. Just put that reminder that, wow, I... Yeah, I may be going through some stuff, but guess what? Life is, there, there's some good stuff going on, and God is indeed very good. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This, what this is saying is to pray, 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 and then pray <laughs> with gratitude in, in your heart. Don't be anxious about stuff. Don't be anxious about, some of us get too hung up on, on, oh, I don't know how to pray. It doesn't say pray right. It says pray, and if you pray, then you're praying right, right? So the how-to of prayer, don't get locked into that stuff. I think that stuff's from the enemy to try to keep us from praying. You know, don't need to worry about what to pray, how to pray. Sometimes it's, ah, help! You know, that's one of my best prayers, you know. <laughs> Help! I don't know what to do. Um, I usually don't do that in church. <laughs> that's a car prayer. Any of you got car prayers that you don't do anywhere else? <laughs> but to pray in every situation. It doesn't say to pray once, a, you know, well, just the massive big stuff. It says pray about everything. Pray about everything. 
and, and offer that up to God with gratitude. And if, if we do that, if we're willing to offer all that stuff, all the difficult stuff, all the easy stuff, then it's, it's the peace that passes. I call it the impossible peace because it's not possible and yet we experience it, right? It's a peace that passes understanding. People look at you and go, I don't know how you have any kind of peace in the midst of all that's going on in your life. And it's like, well, I don't, but I do because of Jesus. That's all that there is. Right, Naomi? <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Um, but that peace will come. It will come into our lives. Finally, brothers and sisters. And this, this is huge for me who struggled with that negative thought stuff. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, if it's excellent, if it's praiseworthy, think about those things, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. When I'm struggling with that negativity, when, that, when things get hard, uh, as they're going to sometimes, then, then it, we, we have to look for what's going well. Uh, it's a truism. It's out of recovery, but it's just a truism. Is If I focus on the problem, the problem increases, and if I focus on the solution, the solution increases. If I focus on the negative, I will absolutely find it in my life. But if I focus on the positive, you know what I'll find? The positive in my life. It's up to me. It's up to me. I get to make that call. I get to make that choice. Do I wrestle with that? Yes, I wrestle with that every day. But I know that if it's, it's up to me. I don't have to live over here. I can live over here. And there's freedom over here. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Say that with me. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, that 413 is a great passage, but it's often misused because it's out of context if you just kind of yank it out of this whole verse, right? So, so what he's talking about is I have learned the secret of being content in whatever the circumstances are because... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. doesn't mean I can pick up this building. What it means is that, that I have an out because of Jesus and because of the Holy Spirit. And that often involves us being willing to be with each other. Jeremy and Noah, uh, my dear friend, we've been hanging out together for a long time now. You know, we did a Bible study together back when he was in the youth group I was leading. And we did went through this passage. And it was at that point that I realized that contentment is a choice. Contentment is a choice. Because that's what Paul is pointing us to. You can be content or not. It's up to you. So when I'm discontent, that's kind of my, my deal. I'm, that means that I'm doing some things or seeing some things that I'm not happy with. Sometimes we need a little bit of that in our life in order to, to move us. But contentment is a choice that we make. Joy is a choice that we make. God gave us an amazing free will to be able to choose, to choose paths. We can choose to draw near to him. We can choose to pull away from him. It's, it's up, to it, him, up to us. We have the ability 
to embrace contentment in all circumstances, and we have the ability to embrace chaos and disorder. When we embrace contentment, it's because we're relying on him who gives us strength. When we embrace chaos and disorder, it's because we're relying on ourselves. It's a beautiful letter. God gives us this amazing gift of Scripture. You can see that just in the last three weeks, the three different letters and how they're focused give us insight into different issues in the church, in the, over, in the big church, in the, in the local church, and, and in our own lives. Study. We're going to start grow groups in the fall. Get involved in one. You're going to hear at the, by the end of July, we'll have a schedule out. Get involved in one because we need to do this together so that we can grow closer to him. Amen? Amen. All right.